Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and with me, as always, is Charles Chuck Thompson. And with us, but not as always, is Mr. Robert Chetfield, the president and CEO of the Free to Choose Network. How are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic, Nate and Charlie. Thanks so much for having me on. And really, the intro music sets the stage for us. That's all I'm going to say. That was I, actually- look, I didn't want to mention it, but that was my band. So, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good stuff. We, we had Nate's music on there for a while, and you know, everyone just seemed to choose this one. Just too boring. <laughs> Free to <No>. choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're both, I mean, we have been big fans of Free to Choose for a long time. I was lucky enough to find it on youtube you know like every single episode is is there on youtube and and uh watch through every one of them while i was traveling around all over the place luckily there was plenty of content to watch and um you know so we've been big fans you guys for a while but for anyone who doesn't know what free to choose is if you've been living under a rock um could you tell us exactly who you are and what you guys do i'll start with free to choose itself which in 1980 uh, a public television program came out called Free to Choose. It was a 10-hour series back when you could get away with doing a 10-hour documentary series because there was only four channels. You didn't have any other options. And if you didn't like what was on the major three networks and you wanted some educational television, you got to uh, clue in to, uh, to PBS. Um, what had happened was a, another economist had put out a 13-hour series, and somebody says, gosh, this needs a rebuttal. That was all about government intervention. We should talk about something in terms of free markets, free people. And uh, uh, the founder of the Erie, Pennsylvania, public television station was approached by then the chair of uh, um, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and he introduced him to a Nobel laureate named Milton Friedman. And uh, so Milton Friedman had published a book called Capitalism and Freedom. Bob Chittister was the producer and the guy who actually started the whole thing off with Milton. And as I said, from there, it became a 10 hour series on public television. Our organization was spawned from that. So we've been around for uh, 35 years as an organization, essentially still doing the same thing, video-based education in support of free markets, free people. I'm trying- That's awesome. I'm trying to imagine something like that being on TV today, like regular TV. Well, I'm trying to imagine a producer <laughs> saying, hey, we need a rebuttal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, need, we need to present both sides yeah, of the argument. Decide. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> so obviously the, the, the legacy of Milton Friedman has been living on, you know, just for so long. I mean, even, you know, guys like us who are both in our early 30s, I feel like I've just grown up listening to Milton Friedman and uh, that it's just so amazing that you can still go out there and watch all that but i mean you guys are working on a a lot of stuff what kind of upcoming projects and stuff do you have going on well i'll start by kicking off with uh we recently did uh for this is the 40th anniversary of free to choose so what we did was we created two minute versions of each of the 10 episodes and people talk about you know short attention span, and I don't believe that because I have two teenage kids, and they will sit and they will binge watch Bob's Burgers for 15 hours straight. <laughs> so it's not that the attention span isn't there, but you got about two minutes to capture people. And what we did, we started those two-minute videos really so that people could get a flavor. If they'd never heard, who is Milton Friedman? What was his ideas? And so we just launched that, and the concept there being that teachers could bring that into classroom for remote learning. College professors could use it for economic stuff. So that's one of our, our favorite things we just launched recently. Yeah, and you like um, 
uh, I watch, or I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but big fan of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, and, you can watch I mean, all of it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what it is. It's like 60 hours. Well, actually 80 hours. It's eight seasons of 10 episodes, an hour each. Mm-hmm. So it's 80 hours of, you know, 25 different storylines. And of course, people can get sucked into that. So I think that's an awesome idea to, you know, do that little soundbite that grabs people's attention. And I, the same with me. I mean, it, it, of course, something grabbed my attention. It was really Milton Friedman on the Paul Donahue show was one of the first Phil things. Donahue. Uh, yeah. Phil Donahue. Sorry. One of yeah. the first things mm-hmm. I saw. And then after that, I just went and watched hours and hours and hours and, and read the books. And once you get sucked in, you can't stop. <laughs> you can't. It was can't. Milton's way of communicating, by the way, because, Charlie, you hit that one on the head. He, he didn't talk down to anybody. He talked with people. Uh, he would even help people reframe their questions if he didn't think the question that came at him was difficult enough. He would say, you, you might want to ask this here. And, and so he'd, he'd roll from there. But Milton did that purposefully. And I think that's why his stuff is so timeless. And he did it, you know, like you said, he didn't talk down to anyone. And This is something I think a lot of people who are in our movement should realize. You never really hear him get upset. He's not raising his voice. He's not shouting back and forth with people. Very calm and, and just really making the points, I've always said, but with a smile on his face the whole time. And he's, he's making these points and he's, he's so sure of everything that he's saying. And man, some of his comebacks, some of his one-liners. I was actually playing one for Charlie earlier today over and over again because it was so funny when he was asking. <laughs> it was actually a recent uh, one of the two-minute videos that you guys have posted about uh, monopolies and free trade. And um, he he asked the, uh, you know, the kid asked, uh, said that maybe we should make laws about how big someone can get. And he says, yeah, that, that's a theory. But but my theory, and I'm sure that you'll agree, is a, which is a much better one, <laughs> is, uh, you know, is, is free trade. And I just love the way that he would say those kinds of things. So are you guys also doing the uh, the Thomas Sowell documentary? So that's our next one. You can see a trailer clip of that. And uh, the uh, host for that program is uh, Jason Riley. He is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Jason Riley is the authorized biographer of Tom Sowell. And it's it's a different kind of film. So it's not going to be if you're expecting the hard hitting Thomas Sowell in your face comments, if you will. Uh, there's plenty of that on the Internet. What Jason said was is people didn't know Tom Sowell from the human aspect. What was what, what's he like from the human side? And so we took that project on. That's going to be released uh, at the beginning of next year. Much to Tom Sowell's chagrin, it will probably be aired on public television during Black History Month. And Tom would say, why? It's about <laughs> e- economics. It has nothing to do about black history. Uh, but we uh, we estimate that's probably when it's going to go out. Well, and, and um, you know, that has to. Well, I guess you can you can see why that would be. But I, I got comments before where. You know, in this whole era that we're in right now, uh, I guess in the in woke 2020, mm-hmm. um, some comments that I would that I would get as people would tell me, well, you know, find some black Ph.D. authors that agree with your stance on on economics. And I was like, OK, <laughs> Thomas Sowell. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but I'm, I'm uh, if I'm if I remember correctly, he graduated magna cum laude uh, mm-hmm. from Harvard. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. not only that was he. Not only is he a PhD, but he's brilliant. Went to Harvard, and then I think he went to Columbia, and then Chicago That's, for for. I was his. gonna say he was a student of Milton Friedman's, and we love yes. telling this story. Where Thomas Sowell, the reason he's such a, a great debater is because he was actually a Marxist. 
And Thomas yep. Sowell did a lot of research on Marxism. He wanted to make his argument sharper, sharper for Marxism than they ever could be. So he went to the University of Chicago. He studied under Milton Friedman. He left the University of Chicago. He was still an ardent Marxist. And yeah. if you ask him what actually changed, why did he become a free marketeer? It was government. He went to go work in government. Yeah. And that was it. So uh, in, in, uh, there's a great clip in our film where he just says, you know, what, what made you change your mind? Facts. facts. Just facts. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that one before. I think he says that he says something similar in the in basic economics, too. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to say yeah. I, I, I would recommend basic economics for for anyone. We do all the time. I'm I, I've gone. I've read basic economics nine times now. I just started my 10th time and uh, is, is by far my favorite book. And uh, really, all of all of his books. But I wanted to do a whole podcast based on basic economics and read it like like it were just you know the the most important words you'd ever read before. I think it's one of the most important books that's ever been written. It should be in schools, really. Yeah, I was gonna say it was yeah. written for it was written for the non-economists. Charlie, I've got to add another one though to your list, which is Walter Williams. Yes, mm -hmm. I pointed him out as well. <laughs> We did a biography of Walter Williams about five years ago, and when all this stuff started taking off, we put no dollars into advertising, and we had over 100,000 views on the Walter Williams movie uh, within a four-week time frame. Did you guys do and, the, uh, was it that the Suffer No Fools? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good one, too. That's awesome. So, you know, we're in a, we're in a pretty weird time right now uh, you know obviously when we talk about free to choose we go automatically to milton friedman but i know you guys are involved with a lot of other economists too but i always wonder what someone like milton friedman would say if you looked at what's going on right now in the country and you looked at the size of the federal government and the size of our deficit and our debt i mean we're going to spend we might end up spending 10 trillion dollars this year potentially you know it's probably going to be 8 trillion at least and yeah. maybe 10 and then we're dealing with all the lockdowns and everything i just I, i'm i don't know i always wonder what someone like that would be saying out well, in the it public was, it was really bad at the beginning of the century and you know when when milton friedman passed away in 2006 and so i'm sure he thought it was bad then like it's what quadrupled since then? Oh, I would, I would love it if we would move back to 2006 level of right. freedom right now. Right. <laughs> and one of the things I think there's two avenues to go on that one. The first is just how willingly people were uh, uh, wanting to cede the decision to government in terms of what they should do. And I think there was a lot of people uh, out there, as I said, and it, it sort of became that whole politicized angle that we talk about in terms of, oh, you must be a, a Trumpian if you're not wearing a mask, if you will, or you must be, uh, you know, a Nancy Pelosi accolade uh, if, if you, uh, you know, she, remember she was out saying in April people should be going to Chinatown and uh, supporting the local businesses mm -hmm. down there because Trump had shut down the air travel from China. And then suddenly a month later, you know, the, the positions are reversed, if you will. And, you know, you're not doing enough for safety now. And so I think that that concept that people are looking to government instead of their own feelings, I think that's probably the thing that would have irritated Milton the most. Um, the money side, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a monetarist in terms of that. My background's really finance, by the way. It's not filmmaking, which is hilarious. <laughs> the reason I got the job was because I was the only guy who had read a monetary history of the United States from 1960. But <laughs> That's a the, pivot. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the concept there, I, I think Milton would be surprised, but then you have to take a look at the alternatives. 
which is across the world, all these central banks have essentially have zero interest rates to negative interest rates. And what's the competition? And I think you're actually seeing inflation creep in where people don't expect it. The stock market's way up. Real estate prices are way up again. So you're seeing the asset price inflation. Sorry, I just went off into my geek professor no, mode. Love it. Love it. But that, I think, uh, you know, Milton wouldn't have a good explanation for that in terms of why we're not seeing the inflation other than if you go look for it, you're starting to see it right now. Yeah, and I remember, was it was it him that said that the uh, the only answer for high inflation was high living, something like that? Yes. And uh, that's really, that's I, I can't imagine, I don't know what the point is going to be where we hit the hyperinflation mode. I've been... We've been thinking it was going to happen uh, pr pretty soon, and I think the only reason it's not is that all the other countries are kind of doing the same terrible things. Exactly. Too. It's kind of a worldwide deflation of the currencies yeah. at the same exact time, which is sort of preventing that from happening. Uh, the other thing I think if, if I were Milton Friedman thinking about this, um, sincerely, the, the concepts, if you will, of if you look at what's happening in Hong Kong right now, I think that that is something Milton would have highlighted as saying, Personal freedom, political freedom, economic freedom. This the power trio. You have to have all three of those. And here was Hong Kong, just an incredible economic powerhouse that China was, you know, really, you know, essentially able to suck some great uh, revenue out of Hong Kong, if you will, to help support mainland China. But you look at what's going on there. They arrested Jimmy Lai in terms of, uh, you know, for the third time this year, I think, uh, just in terms of violating their rule of freedom of press. And I think that that is a concept that is going to be lost on a lot of people within this environment is that, you know, nobody's paying attention to what's happening in Hong Kong, which should be on the daily news. Yeah. And isn't that strange? And, you know, I was watching this little bite-sized history on Netflix that did, you know, like this 30 minute clip on China and China, you know, as you know, in history in the, uh, you know, the early part of China's history, very poor, obviously all the way until the eighties. And what's hilarious is in the eighties, they started with four um, what they called economic freedom zones, something to that to that nature. And they allowed businesses in those zones to make a profit. And, um, you know, with and then obviously Hong Kong being kind of a separate entity allowed to make profit and be free, mostly free economically. And then you saw those boom. And then China started building all of these economic zones all over the country. And that's really how they've gone from, you know, whatever they're, you know, 10 million GDP in the 70s huh. or the 60s to like, you know, 90, 18 trillion or something like that. You uh, can trace it back to the, I can't remember the name of the town now, but where the farmers made the secret uh, right. contract. Yes, you know? yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the town anymore and I would mess up the pronunciation anyway, but obviously they were having troubles uh, growing enough grain, enough food for anyone to survive. And they made the secret contract. I believe the guy hit it in the uh, in the roof and the shingles for the roof, but all the families got together. And what what do you know? They decided that they could keep the extra. And all of a sudden, people started going out before the bell would ring. They would stay out after the bell had rung. They were taking better care of their fields. And what was in the first year, I think they made as much. Like four times? It was four many? or five times as much. It was basically five years worth of grain came out in just the very first year, just giving people their own their own little piece of private property, really. Yeah, it right. wasn't completely private, but but more than what they had had. Now, you had mentioned um, at, the, at the beginning of this talk that Milton would probably be most surprised that people decided to listen to the government uh, for their decisions making or whether or not they should wear a mask and, you know, mm -hmm. how, do we go to work or not or anything like that. 
Um, why? I'm going to ask you, why do you think that is? Uh, especially with the CDC screwing up right from the beginning. They screwed up the test. They came out and said it. Then they, they went from, you know, the CDC guidelines, because my girlfriend's in healthcare, and I, I grew up in healthcare, and so I understand uh, PPE and personal protection. I've gone through that training. And so the CDC guidelines are very strict about N95 masks and, and contact precautions and droplet precautions. And then they went all the way to uh, go ahead and, and order a bandana. I mean, my girlfriend came home from work. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'm not wearing a bandana to work. That's insane. Like, what is the CDC doing? We've always trusted the CDC and now they're stepping back all their guidelines. So how, how do people still rely on the government when they show their cards that they are, I'm just going to say it when they're incompetent and then they, they back down their regulations that they've made um, and, and all of that. How do, how do they, how do people still trust them even though they show their cards? I, I, uh, I'm going to point you to another recent project of ours. We did a three hour series on the U S constitution called a more or less perfect union. And within there, there's a Cato Institute scholar named um, Clark Neely and Clark hits this one on the head. He says just over the last couple of generations, really, we've become a more permission-based society. Rather than saying, it's it's my life, I can do what I want with that as long as I'm not harming somebody else, we now say, oh my gosh, can I do this? Can I do that? And it's a change in attitude over time uh, from people really not understanding that whole concept of self-government that is what the United States was founded on. And I think you're seeing that, and again, it gets politicized between left and right, and we're neither, by the way, for you to choose right. network. We, we have great ideas. We hope both sides take our ideas. We, we, we could care less in terms of the politics of what's going on. But I think our emphasis goes back to that concept of personal freedom. What does that really mean? It means that the, the, the experiment of the United States, that grand experiment was self-government and the fact that you actually owned your own body and you had that ability to be able to say, this is what I want to do, again, as long as I'm not harming someone else. I think we've seen over a long period of time now, people have been, especially with all of the racial tensions we have right now, I think people have been kind of destroying the idea of the Constitution um, and basically trying to nullify any of the ideas that came out of the Constitution by destroying the people that, that wrote the Constitution and that everything that was going on during that time. Obviously, the slave owners, a very, very terrible thing. But as we, we went through the Constitution, uh, well, I guess we, we went through the Declaration of Independence on uh, the, our Fourth of July episode. And regardless of knowing anything about the people who wrote the documents, you can't read those documents, especially the Declaration of Independence, and not agree with what they're saying. But I think we're in a really weird time now where since we don't like the people who wrote it now because of the, the world that we live in, well, now we can't go with any of their ideas that we had whatsoever. And I think and not that, only that, I think we've been chipping away at it since its inception. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we we talked about whether or not Americans even wanted the Constitution uh, yesterday on the podcast. And I think generally people want a Constitution when it when it suits them, when it suits their political goals. I don't really think that I don't I don't know that there's a large portion of the population that really wants to adhere to exactly what is in the U.S. Constitution unless it, they can use it for their own political gain. And I think yeah. that's that's been one of our big problems. I think that's something also, and this is a real sneak preview because we haven't started at all filming on this one, but uh, after we did our constitution program, uh, one we are exploring right now is a project on the declaration. 
And really, if you look at the declaration, that's just, that's the aspirational document, if you will. That's what people would say about that. And the Constitution is the, all right, how can we put that aspirational document into, uh, into function? But, you know, the concept, again, of they even said a more perfect union. They, they knew it wasn't a perfect union. The document wasn't perfect. Human beings are imperfect. But the founders were great students of human behavior. And they knew that one thing people enjoy, if people in power like to have more power, people who have control over others like to have more control over others. And they tried to set that system up to protect us as individuals from people trying to gain and usurp power over the individual. That part I, th I still think is lost on the American public today. I've been very surprised that that's been lost, especially I've, I've said several times, but I really expected more of an anti-government sentiment uh, from people on the left with the election of Donald Trump. And, and I, I really thought that maybe the idea would click in people's heads that, huh, maybe the president shouldn't have this much power because while I like it when Barack Obama has the power, I never know if the guy that's going to come after him is going to be Donald Trump. And, and vice versa. Yeah. And yeah. vice versa. The Trump supporters being like, okay, you know, I like it that Trump has it, but I didn't like it when Obama had it. Yeah, so he's so brave for not, these new executive orders right. last weekend. How does so that brave. not click? Yeah. Yeah. So, so would you say, you know, again, I was introduced to, to Milton Friedman back, back to him, which by the way, you guys, are, well, you've done the Free to Choose series and then also the Thomas Sowell um, mm -hmm. coming up, two, two of my favorite economists. But, uh, you know, I, again, on the Phil Donahue show where I was really introduced to Milton Friedman back in the 80s, um, they were essentially asking the same questions that they are today. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the famous one is the lady stands up and says, when you see so few haves and so many have nots, um, well, you know, yeah. What's the role of the government? That was on the Phil Donahue show. Right? Well, yeah, the yeah. Phil was saying that the uh, lady was talking about the, uh, the those big people up on top. Her accent was great, by the way, right. such a great accent. But all those big people up on top that were hoarding all the wealth. Right. You know, <laughs> and uh, just great, great answers, of course, from Friedman. And, you know, we're seeing the same questions today. And so uh, so. I don't know. Has anything changed at all? Or are we still having the same battles that we've been having for who knows, 50, 60, 70 years? 10,000 years. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a great side story. Uh, another thing we have, Free to Choose Network is actually the caretaker uh, and operator of Milton and Rose Friedman's summer home in Vermont. Oh, cool. We bring, <laughs> students, we bring students to that place for a week-long colloquium where we study Capitalism and Freedom, Milton Friedman's 1962 book. And when you open it up within the first two paragraphs of Capitalism and Freedom, He's talking about democratic socialism. Huh. Wow. And, and people, the students, their eyes just, uh, they light up. They're like, what? what do you, that was an issue in 1962. And we say, we're still talking about the same stuff. And if you go through the book, Capitalism and Freedom from 1962, the 10 chapters of that form the basis of Free to Choose, the 10 part series. And if you look at the 10 episodes of Free to Choose, and then what our organization has done for film projects over the last 10 years, we're still doing chapter by chapter as film projects. We did a film called Work and Happiness about how people really want to work. They don't want to be on the welfare system, but the benefits are such that you get tied into the system because it makes more economic sense for you to stay on the welfare system than actually be employed. Um, so we did something on school choice. We did, you can just look through our catalog and almost everything is still verbatim what Milton was writing about in 1962. So is it, is it changing? 
I like to think that it's that phrase, Charlie, that you've got to be vigilant. Every generation has to earn liberty again. And I think that that's, we're never going to be out of those arguments. Honestly, I was listening to Economics in One Lesson the other day, and it could have came out last year, to tell you the truth. And, <laughs> and, and I know, I think that book was written when, in the 40s, maybe? Something, something like that. Honestly, mm-hmm. it could have came out last year. There really wasn't any difference at, at all. Henry Hazlitt, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think maybe just people are the same, generation after generation. And uh, we... It, do you think that it is actually getting, well, I know the government's getting worse. Are people getting worse or does every generation feel like they're in the worst generation to have ever existed? Because that's how I feel all the time. Right. But I just like to imagine that my parents felt the same way. I don't know. I, I And I'm, I'm a little older than you guys, but my kids are actually, I can't call my son a teen anymore. He's 20 now, but my, my children are 20 and 15. And I think that uh, one's, uh, if I can, uh, I'll, I'll put them in categories, which I don't like to do. One's libertarian, the other's more conservative, if you will. And, uh, and it's just their own birthright, by the way. I wasn't trying to, p- to push them in either side of that. But I, I think that they see it in the classroom space that it's not really okay for them to speak out if they're not in the majority, if you will. And I think that's an issue now that we're really gonna have to deal with that I don't think we had to deal with 10, 15 years ago. When you guys were in school, the the concept of political correctness was there. When I was in school, there was no such thing as political correctness. You know, we we were telling, you know, minority and ethnic jokes. We were bullying each other on the playground. That stuff was all fair game. But I, I, I wonder how far that pendulum goes in terms of not being able to speak your mind. Wait, did we stop telling minority and ethnic jokes sometime? Did I miss that? No, sorry. <laughs> on college campuses. <laughs> oh, on college campuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay. Well, and that's, yeah, that's the main downfall, I would think, of universities as a whole anyway. I mean, you're supposed to go there to be challenged, and now it's just a, a large echo chamber for the most part for, for a certain amount of people, depending on what university you go to. Right. Um, and so that's a, that's a real shame. Uh, I mean, do you see it heading further in that direction? And, and then what can we do about it like as a as liberty minded people how do we get this message of free to choose out how do we you know obviously continue to share the content and 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 do all of those things what's the what's the process in your mind or or what's some of your goals how do we stop this (laughs) how do i save my kids (laughs) don't laugh but i'm actually less worried about the college campus issue than i am with what's going on in middle schools and high schools in america right now And the reason I say about the college campus component is, uh, first of all, you're probably going to see a shift in higher education within, I'm just making this guess, by the way, five to 10 years. The pricing has gotten a little out of whack with the benefit that the degree used to confer. Before it was, you got to go to college so that you can make that double the salary that you made if you were uh, just a high school graduate. Those economics aren't panning out as much anymore. So you're going to see a lot more people getting into technical education uh, and and the trades, if you will, that otherwise might have gone to college because they thought that's how you make the money. Most people at college who essentially are keeping their mouths quiet do so because they're only there to get that degree so that they can go onward to make some more money in a career in business and a career somewhere else. So I think that the ones who really appreciate uh, the viewpoint of freedom, uh, while they're not speaking up, it's ingrained within them that they're going to go out, they're going to be capitalists. They're going to go out and understand how that works. The high school side, as I said, that worries me a lot more because it's a captive audience. 
And within that captive audience, if they're not allowed to freely express uh, dissent uh, as an opinion, because it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, I think that's going to be an issue because then those people are being trained, don't speak up. At what what age do you think you need to start instilling some of these these uh, because i get the feeling that by the time you get to college not mm-hmm. that it's too late but because yeah. i didn't you know i didn't come to libertarianism until i was uh, already out of college but uh it it feels like it would be a lot harder by that time you're you're you know already kind of formed at that time so what age would you say you need to start getting some of these ideas and like i remember I remember Schoolhouse Rock still. Yes. You know, I still know a lot of Schoolhouse Rock songs. I could still recite the whole preamble to the Constitution right now. In and fact, your band played a few of them like, as the covers <laughs> yeah. on the road. We were covering the preamble to the Constitution, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I'm just a bill and all that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what, what age do we need to start getting to, to kids right now? You hit it, by the way. I think it's five years old, and I'm, and I'm not okay. making that up. I, I think it, and it's not, you know, universal pre-K. We're going to start there. But right now... In um, in elementary school, you know, students are being, and I'll use the phrase brainwashed. It's it's not the phrase I want, but I'll use it. Students are brainwashed that uh, green is good, if you will. You know, and it's great. We should take care of the environment. Absolutely, positively. Th- these students, though, are being brainwashed at that age, if you will, with regards to uh, how they should interact with their environment and interact with society. And, you know, if we don't teach them the little stuff, like, you know, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, you know, there's a good place to start. Yeah. And if you start to instill those virtues into the children at that age, well, you know, we call it the, uh, again, for lack of a better phrase, the uh, the Catholic church model. You know, if you're a Catholic, they're going to beat that stuff into you as you're a little kid. <laughs> and that's your moral code throughout life is going to be that. You're still it's afraid of nuns, apparently. <laughs> I'm not Catholic. I don't know this. But apparently, if you went to Catholic school, you're still afraid of nuns, like, at age 65. <laughs> yeah. So. According to the movies I've seen, that's yeah. what they do. I don't really know. <laughs> My girlfriend calls it Catholic guilt. <laughs> okay. She's like, don't make me feel bad about this. I still have Catholic and I, and guilt. It's not a matter, of, and again, it's not a matter of us brainwashing, by the way. I think it's a matter of trying to teach that common sense at that earliest age of children with regards to, uh, you know, self-reliance and independence. You know, kids, you know, you can tie your own shoes. You can do, look at all the stuff you can do by yourself. And if you then take a look and extrapolate that onward into life, really every great achievement, accomplishment, is because some person had an idea and ran with it. Rarely does a committee of 27 people come up with something really great. You know, <laughs> somebody had the idea, somebody took it further, somebody's sweat and tears went into it. Yeah, but instead we try to corral them and send them in one direction. You know, even Neil deGrasse, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson had a good point where he was like, you know, several people always ask me, how do, how do I get my kids into science? How do I get my kids into science? And he's like, well, by default, your kids are into science. He's like, the problem is you keep them away from from making doing experiments and kids are always in the science right and i think <laughs> that's ultimately they need to have the option and unfortunately you know like even i learned in school i remember in, um you know my high school government class was the federal government is supreme and then it's the state and then it's your local uh your local your county and your city and your municipality governments and that's actually wrong and i didn't mm-hmm. know that until like five years ago um and so those types of things and then the history that they're teaching i mean you know, obviously I remember the Holocaust, but I didn't learn, excuse my language, I didn't learn a damn thing about Russia or the gulags or any of that in middle or high school, which is insane to me. You know, a lot more people died of communism than did of fascism. And how am I? How do we only learn about certain uh, things? And so 
obviously, you know, with, with you guys and your upcoming projects and you're all about getting this education and stuff out, um, you know, what's the, what's the ultimate goal, I guess. And, and what are, or what are some of y'all's future goals and, and all of that with the content and getting, at least getting the education out there to where even if kids don't become libertarian, because I really don't care. I don't, I don't like boxes either, but <laughs> at least they're, they have that education as well, because it seems, I agree with you, Rob, it seems like middle school, middle school and high school, there's only a particular set of history and political correctness and, and, uh, political science that's being taught and they're not getting, they're not seeing these other options. Um, and, and people like, you know, Ron Paul are being held back and people like Thomas Sowell aren't being taught or Milton Friedman. And it's, it's a shame. I have a, two comments on that one also, Charlie. First, I want to go back to Nate's uh, comment about he didn't come to libertarianism until later. But, you know, uh, and we can, we can say this to your audience if they didn't know this beforehand. You have three rock and rollers that are on this podcast. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. I tend to think that we knew we were independent-minded and independent thinkers. We might not have known what libertarianism was, but that wouldn't have mattered to us anyway because our own thought process was, I'm probably a nonconformist, if you will. I don't fit neatly into the boxes, and that's how we end up in that arena, if you will. Right. I, I, I want more people to be thinking like that in terms of, it's okay, I'm, I'm – Hey, I'm a Rotarian, all right? I'm, I'm a guy who still goes to, to meetings once a week with, with lots of senior citizens trying to figure out what we can do well in our community uh, and internationally also. So it's not as I don't believe in community, but I think it's, you know, you start with that concept of the individual and what's the power of the individual and can you continuously influence the next generation to think, yeah, it's in my hands. I, I can change things. And if I can change things, Everybody else can change things. Therefore, it's individualism. And that has to take first uh, step. And I say that because if anybody tells me it's community first, community first, I will say, great, where's my toilet paper? <laughs> that's that's a concept. We're trying to think of making a classroom video to teach that concept exactly. If it really was community first, then I, I should have been able to walk in or you should have been handing me your toilet paper because I didn't have any, all right? But I think that's one step with regards to you know, I, I, I'm with you guys both. I don't care if somebody is libertarian, uh, if they how they vote. But in terms of understanding that concept of individual first, I think that one's big. I, I was going to say, you, you mentioned that we were all rock and rollers, so we kind of have this natural nonconformist thing going on. We're, I, yeah. I, I did notice that even when I was younger, before I was really in the politics, you, I feel like you get taught this natural, uh, this natural idea to hate those who have more than you, it, even if you, it, or to be resentful or to be envious of those who have more than you. And, and even when I was maybe 18, 19, something like that, I would- Or life's not fair. I, I would be more, I was more on the right wing, like straight up white, right wing, but I would still have that natural reaction to uh, how much a CEO gets paid or how much profit Walmart makes or something like that. And I would still have those kind of emotional responses in my head where I'd yeah. never really thought about it before. I feel like that's something that you're kind of taught. I've, I've, I've mentioned to someone the other day, a lot of movies that you watch from the time you're a kid, if you look at the bad guy, a lot of times it's this evil rich guy or this terrible rich corporation that's the bad guy in the movies all the time. And that that's pretty much who's behind whatever terrible thing is going on. You know, it's 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 sometimes it's the government, but it's it's rarely the government. And um, I, I feel like we're taught that from a, a really young age. And it was tough for me to come out of that 
and still fight some of those natural feelings. I've pushed all those aside now for sure. <laughs> right. um, but that's one thing that it's hard to break because it's on an emotional level with people. And I think that the concept of, oh my gosh, capitalism is greed and that's terrible. But socialism is envy, and that's good. I don't know. I did, somebody's yeah. ranking the seven deadly sins, and they, they gave good plus marks and minus marks to the other ones. Uh, another project we have coming up that will come out in uh, the spring is on corporate welfare. And it's very funny because we're trying to take on a lot of projects now uh, forthcoming that I don't think the left or the right can own them, where you can sit there and poke your eye at, at, at both of them. And on the one hand, uh, one side of the political aisle will say, oh, corporate welfare, it's all about those greedy big corporations trying to buy off the government. And then on the flip side, you know, I'll call it, you know, the, the, the capitalist side, if you want to say, well, you know, if, it, if the government didn't have so much power over there to uh, uh, hand out favors and, and bestow these, these fantastic options upon their favored businesses, uh, then we wouldn't have this issue. So both sides think it's an issue. Corporate welfare is a big issue. And you notice I don't use the, the phrase, uh, uh, I, I use cronyism, mm -hmm. but I will call it crony socialism yeah. is a phrase that I think ought to be used because isn't that really what that's about when big government bestows benefits upon certain people in the, in the uh, productive uh, uh, economic sector? Therefore, whose fault is it? And that's why nothing's going to get done because both sides now have a boogeyman that they can point to. And both sides still gain because their boogeyman still exists. Because yeah. people on the left think that to fix it, you just need the right people to be in office and have the right laws and the, the right ways to stop that. Right. And we, mm -hmm. we talk about corporate, corporate welfare a lot, and we've been a couple people that really don't get upset by it. I've always said... Well, we're on the capitalist yeah, side. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're on the capitalist side, I guess. So uh, if the power didn't I, exist, it wouldn't be there. I understand the unfairness aspect of it. We, we've talked about it a lot and gone back and forth about it. A lot of libertarians definitely do not feel the way that, yeah. that, that uh, I do about it, that Charlie does. I've always... Uh, Obviously, if the government didn't have that power, then it wouldn't exist. But I think taxation is a prison. And um, if the if corporate welfare, if it's just simply a tax reduction, um, I imagine if I were put unjustly in a prison with a bunch of other people that shouldn't have been in the prison and someone found a way out of it, uh, would my solution be to uh, yell at the guards to shoot the guy as he was running away? <laughs> or would my solution be to be mad at the guards who were keeping me locked in the prison? And, and so that's, that's always the way I've looked at it. When someone gets out of the prison, I'm, I feel like that's unfair, but I'm not mad at the corporation for it. Uh, I'm, I would probably do the exact same thing. In fact, I will, if I ever get a chance to pay less taxes, <laughs> I will do it. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so yeah. I, I never get mad at the corporations for it. I get mad at the structure of taxation itself. And in real life, they just add to your sentence, by the way. So escaping yeah. doesn't do you as much good. But uh, I think, as I said, it's <laughs> yeah. a good analogy. <laughs> well, and that, you know, with the bailouts and stuff, too, we had the same conversation. But because, you get, well, you have to break it all the way down. And what actually what actually generates wealth? Well, it's production. It's not consumption. It's the, the, the production economic Austrian Chicago and economic argument is what actually generates wealth. And so. When with the government's going to hand out money and there's nothing you can do about it, well, mm -hmm. wouldn't you rather it go to the productive side of the economy to yeah. to continue to produce the wealth, which is a better long term solution rather than in the hands of the consumers, which will give us this nice little 
uh, heroin injection. A podcaster <laughs> I listen to calls it that, and I like that a lot. So a nice little heroin injection where we feel good for just a little bit, and then oh, guess what? We need another stimulus because we're already out. <laughs> it's, it's August, by the way. It's such a weird situation because the government shut down the economy, and so I I don't know. Can you liken it to maybe if they were to be taking your land through some kind of eminent domain or something like that? Do they have to pay you for shutting down your operation of your private property? I don't know. This is such a weird time. I would love there, to hear. There, I would love to hear what Milton Friedman had to say about it. it. But there is a nonprofit organization that used that exact phrase that took the. Uh, uh, they they took their PPP loan. They got called out for it. The Iran no- Institute. As I said, there's there's no reason to, as I said, to talk about that. But yeah, they, they use that exact phrase there in terms of that. Um, I do want to point, going back to Milton Friedman, by the way, you know, his theory of consumption was different than Keynes's. And thankfully, uh, Friedman is proven correct today because all the money that got dumped into the economy, uh, I was just talking with a bank leader last week, and he said, across the nation, bank deposits are at record highs because it's consumption's not based upon how much money you get and that you're going to spend that all immediately. It's your concept of what you're going to have in the future to spend. That's what drives your consumption decision today. And what's happening is a lot of these people are thinking, I better put this money aside because I'm pretty sure I'm going to need it in the future when things get a lot worse. I noticed I saw some articles about that. They didn't expect so many people to be saving their money when when they were giving out this money. And that's actually helped a, a bit with the production side and I guess decreased some of the uh, potential inflation that we that we would have had. And what's interesting well. is Apple and Tesla just announced a stock split that they're doing. Apple doing a four to one and Tesla doing a five to one. And one of the things Apple actually said was to open it up for broader investors. Mm-hmm. So if you think about reducing your price from $400 to $100, well, somebody with their new stimulus package, their new stimulus check could buy some Apple stock as a long-term investor. I take it as a bad sign. I think it means they ran out of really big institutional investors and now they're trying to decrease the stock price so they can get some money because they see the writing on the wall right now. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, so I've got a hypothetical for you real quick. I Go always ahead. like asking these when we do an interview. So I've got to just just see, see what we can come up with here. So you got, just imagine you had the ability to remove one thing, one power that the federal government has and it would be gone forever. One single thing. What what would you pick as the one thing that you would remove? Agency law. Okay. How about that? That I'm going to make it big and broad and expansive, if you will. That way, Congress would have to go back to doing their job instead of sloughing it off to a fourth party who has now become the unchecked fourth branch of government. That is the deep state. <laughs> that is, whether it's, it's organized true. or not. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, all the regulatory agencies, I mean, think about it. We, we read an article yesterday about, was it Sheila Jackson that, that basically said while Obama was in office um, that the legislators were writing laws that they knew they were in the minority, they weren't going to get passed, but they were writing laws uh, and then giving them to Obama for executive order. And mm-hmm. to me, that was one of the... Um, one of the scarier things I've heard, I mean, I already know that we're, we're against all the executive orders and everything, but I hadn't really thought about the actual legislators completely skipping the process and writing up executive orders for the president to sign. And that is just an, just a complete way of going around when the Constitution and Congress and everything. And how do you, I mean, how do you stop that from happening? 
it, and this gets back to how, um, and again, I think that the, um, uh, first, I bet you the founders would be absolutely shocked with regards to the fact that the government lasted this long, honestly. Hmm. Um, we, we did this really great um, scenario. Uh, we took Judge Doug Ginsburg, who is the host of our program, A More or Less Perfect Union on the Constitution. And we had him sit down with the preeminent um, uh, George Washington reenactor. I don't want to call him reenactor. I'm sorry. He's a historical interpreter. Okay. His name is Dean Melissa, and he is the Mount Vernon, George Washington. And uh, it is a great little series. It's on our website. I, I encourage people to go watch that. But the two of them are bantering back and forth about just things, you know, like George Washington warning political parties that's going to destroy the nation here. And, you know, how long do you think this is going to be? Well, you know, slavery is an institution. It's going to end because economically it's unfeasible. And so I think that just the fact that the government lasted this long, I think that they would be really impressed. But now you're really starting to see what what happens when you have all these politicians that really try to go usurp power and that really gets back to they're ignoring the constitution and the only way to get it back is is we the people decide you know what we can only elect officials who essentially swear that they're really going to uphold that constitution not going to their for power yeah there's ha, have you uh, heard of, to do. have you heard of the uh, organization called young americans for liberty at, yes. at all yep. they, we really love what you're just talking about, making sure we get people in there that, that are actually going to adhere to the Constitution. And that just made me really think of them because they've done a great job going around getting state legislatures uh, legislators right. elected. I think 56 now they've helped get elected. And uh, we were... We were very disappointed because we were supposed to go down to their uh, convention down in Dallas last week and right. it got shut down. And mm -hmm. uh, did you ever think that the people would put up with this kind of overreach? And again, just in my own lifetime, I've seen the change. And uh, as a side story, I've taught as an adjunct professor for about 20 years. And um, when I first started, I, I could literally, I could say anything in the classroom space and, and nobody took offense to what I said in the classroom space. And over that 20 year time frame, uh, I went from that to being called into the Dean of Students office for in for inferring that one of my students who was a minority might also be a basketball player. And in fact, he was a basketball player. I had looked it up before I went into class. I wanted to know who was in my class. And I'm like, yeah, on the basketball team. And somebody took offense on that person's behalf. And that's all it takes now wow. is, is, is this concept. As I said, it's like the, it's, it's almost reverse bullying, if you will. And I, I use that point to say that that's where we've gone too wrong. Where did these kids, where did they get these concepts? Again, they're getting these concepts through middle school, high school, so that they're ill-prepared to enter college or the, the real world. Yeah. And, and you know, they're teaching, uh, they're teaching to be kind and they're teaching to be nice and all these things as, as, as if Wonderful there's things. some... As Emo if emotions some, are most important, right? As if there's some like if that's <laughs> some sort of virtue, and and um, I really like. I think being kind would be a virtue, but being kind. Um, well, there's nothing. Well, I wouldn't say there's anything. <laughs> I wouldn't say there's anything virtuous about being kind. I think that it's you should treat people kindly. I think that's the case. But if if a yeah. robber is robbing your house, you're not going to be kind to that person. <laughs> yeah, true. Right, and this true. is something Jordan Peterson talks about, who I really. Uh, really enjoy. I don't agree with with everything the guy says, but probably most of it. And something I really enjoy that he talks about is is what we're teaching our kids nowadays. Is all of this, you know, the Gillette commercial where boys can't wrestle. It's like you've got to be kidding me. That's that's, that's animals have been doing that 
for millions of years. <laughs> like, like how in the world are, are we shifting the, the narrative, so to speak to this? And so if, it, and then basically that's what they're doing. So if anybody says anything that they perceive to be unkind, well, you know, it's off to the gulag with you. <laughs> yeah, the kindness police. Uh, I, I want to add, by the way, Charlie, on that note, Milton Friedman, one of the things we talked about, you know, his ability to communicate way back in the olden days, economists were all put down artists. You know, it was how, how much you can, you know, slam the other economist. And so Milton was no different. And he slammed somebody and then realized later on that he was actually the one who was wrong. Oh, wow. And, and he made it the point from then on that that's what he was actually going to do. He was going to treat people kindly. But there's a great little uh, article. It's uh, You wouldn't know this one. I'm going to forward it along to you guys. You can post it on your site or whatever. It's a great article by an author named Leo Rostin. It's called My Man Fenwick is the whole concept. And Fenwick is a numb the plume for Milton Friedman. And it's like, why is this guy so infuriating? Because he's so nice to people. And he expects them. He talks to them as if they're as intellectually capable as he is. And that's why he's so infuriating is because as soon as they have to take the time to figure out what the real argument is, it falls apart. And, and, and therefore, that's why you'd never invite this guy as a guest to your dinner party. <laughs> I, I love, uh, I think he was talking to a feminist at one time, and I remember the line so clear. He said, I'm on your side, but you're not. <laughs> it was so good. One of my favorite things he, he ever said. We have a whole little compilation video of just little Milton Friedman one-liners. They, yeah. they were mm-hmm. so good. He said one the other day um, that, that I found uh, where he said when it comes to spending of the federal government, you might feel like you're spending someone else's money uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way you are, but he's spending yours. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, man, his just little one-liners that he came up with are, were just mm-hmm. so good. It, it, you guys have an, a, you guys have an education initiative that you're actually working on, right? Yeah, I was gonna say there was a few different things that we that we we work on here, and I'll, I'll, I hope I'm addressing this. And in, in, uh, but I was gonna start with uh, speaking of the pithy one-liners, a concept that we're just trying to launch right now. We finished with the two-minute Miltons, and we're like, how do we follow that one up with? And it was just taking today's headlines. And then putting up an old 1970s television set with Milton Friedman inside it, responding to today's news from nice. the 1970s and 1980s, because his his comments are still the same. Yeah. And we think we can get a lot of mileage out of something like that, of just literally finding the quotable Milton Friedman. You so. could do a debate between Milton Friedman and Bernie Sanders, actually. Yeah, we said, good. and people have done that one. But we just like this concept of whatever's in the news that week. Chances are, again, because capitalism and freedom from 1962 free to choose from 1980. And today we're still talking the same issues. We know it's still relevant. But um, our education initiative that we do, uh, isit.org, is um, quite literally uh, built for K through 12 and mostly for high school students. And uh, I say high school students, we really, we, we use uh, high school teachers as really our target market for this here. And the concept is uh, not so much, again, as I said, we're, we're not, our, our philosophy is very clear. As I said, the, the power of the individual to be free to choose their own destiny, that person will be happier, healthier, wealthier. How's that? It's, it's, it seems, seems sound to us. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, you know, the classroom space, we make a lot of videos that essentially are just there to get people thinking critically. And so it's never pushing a side of an issue. It is taking a look at some concept and saying, hmm, What's really what's really underneath this? And one of the ones I'm most proud of that we did was we worked with a producer named Eli Steele, who happens to be Shelby Steele's son. Mm. 
uh, on a couple of videos. One's called I Am Human, and the other one's called Outside the Box. And they're both related to, first one is uh, uh, I Am Human, the fact that a lot of people are mixed race now. And so what do you, what do you classify these people? Because being mixed race, uh, you know, I've got as much in common I'm mixed race, okay? I'm, I'm English and Dutch and German, all right? So that's mixed race, right? Uh, it, it, but how do, you, how, do you, how do you classify people and start putting them in those boxes? The other one, though, I like because it's Eli trying to enroll his son in kindergarten, and they tell him he has to pick a race box for his son. Hmm. And then Eli goes back through his family history where you find out that on his mother's side of the family, uh, he's descended from uh, original Mormon settlers, uh, Mexicans, uh, on father's side of the family, it's Holocaust survivors and slave owners, and uh, and slaves. Sorry, slave owners, slaves, and Holocaust. Where, wow. where do you fit that person into a box? Yeah, so just an individual that would right. be the the best way it, to it, do wouldn't, it. Wouldn't that be nice that yeah. we started thinking about people as individuals instead of what box they check off? As uh, Ayn Rand said, the individual is the smallest minority on earth. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's always been one of my favorites. And I always go back to Martin Luther, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, where he says, you know, he had a dream that. One day his daughters would be judged not uh, on their color of their skin, but on the content of their character, uh, which basically means at an individual level. Yeah. Not not because of their race, not because of their sex, mm-hmm. not because of anything else, but the content of their character, who they are as an individual, the actions that they take as an individual. And that's what you come to find is eventually like who's the most oppressed person that we have right now in the world today. And you, you have to fractionate the groups all the way down to the level of the individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of our before we get off here because i know that we are uh i think we're yeah we're a little bit past two now but one of our listeners uh wanted us to ask they noticed on the free to choose series that when it would cut away from the discussion that people were still talking and what they wanted to know was whether or not there's anywhere you can get the full entire discussion that happened you know where sometimes it it faded off and they were still debating back and forth so he was wanting to know where can i go to see that uh I'd have to go look. So that stuff is not digital. I can guarantee you that. Okay. okay? We'll send in the uh, mail then. And, and, <laughs> and the original masters, by the way, because somebody also asked me the follow-up question to that, which is, is hey, uh, can you make this stuff HD now? I mean, there's lots of technology. Can, can, you, can you bring stuff? The original masters that we were able to get our hands on are actually of really poor quality. However, our, as you can probably guess, our, our library of really classic uh, free market and, and, and free loving individual uh, video and audio is unparalleled. We have so much stuff. I will see what we can find for that. And again, I will post, uh, I, will, I will let your people know if we have anything for them, but it's amazing. I've only been with the company for three years because the founder is 82 years old and he still runs circles around us. But the, um, uh, you know, every time I'm, I think, oh my gosh, I've seen it and heard it all. You know, he, he pulls out just this box of other stuff here you haven't seen this stuff yet and i'm amazed at what we can put together we'll run on down into the basement and find those 30 hours of footage that we need and uh we can uh, <laughs> we'll send that over to maurice because he's wanting to see it yeah. um just uh, one word of advice for us being guys in our early 30s and running a liberty-minded podcast what what do you think we could be doing to try and help with this message to try and push this movement you know, what can we do over the next 50, 60, 70, how many years we have? You know, where do we need to start right now? 
I, I, if I could give you a great advice, first of all, is to have, uh, you know, the free to choose network on here at least once a year, just okay. so we get, we can catch up. Cause this yeah. is a great conversation. Love, love fantastic. Hanging with guys. It is finding. Now we just talking about segmenting groups again, but this is more like target marketing as opposed to, uh, uh not thinking of the individuals. I, I would go after, uh, uh, people who have their own audience, if you will, that you can invite onto the program where it then exposes so many more people to the concepts and ideas. And, you know, a great example, you know, Phil Labonte if from All That Remains, the lead singer. Yeah. What a great guy that Phil is. If you haven't had him on, bring him on. Because all of a sudden, 10,000 of his fans can then listen and find out, oh, wait, he doesn't just, it's not just a heavy metal head. He's got this other side to him also. And I think the more people we bring in that have their own audience that then get to hear those concepts and ideas, I think that's where we're going to win. And that's the whole point of Free to Choose Network, by the way. We're mass media. We're not preaching to the choir. That's never been what we're trying to do. Ours is always trying to be that one step outside the box, trying to introduce new people to these concepts. So just get out in front of as many people as possible. Yeah. I, I think you, I think you guys are starting starting to uh, really well. I should say start. You're you're, you're over three hundred podcasts, man. That's that's a great accomplishment. And they're each about an hour and twenty minutes long. So we've got a we've got a lot of content out there. Is uh, Phil yeah. Lavon, is he uh, is does he do politics? Does he talk politics? Well, this is funny, by the way. So in our our uh, our film on the Constitution, several celebrities wanted to get involved in the project. We said, well, we're not going to put any celebrities in there, but we're going to make a uh, a companion coffee table book. And so lots of celebrities participated in this and some great known names that you'd know. Uh, Gene Simmons is in there, by the way. Nice. Uh, you know, he's a huge fan of the Constitution. Uh, so we've got rock stars. We've got actors, actresses. But I, I made the call. I'm like, we got to get Phil in here because he's such an outspoken advocate with regards to the concept of government is theft people. Do you not see this? Uh, and, you know, big government's actually the destructive component of your life. It's it, and him being an individual. And again, I'm a metalhead by trade. Who are we kidding? Uh, <laughs> I think that that's an audience that's naturally receptive to us. And I think there's lots of audiences like that that are receptive to our messages. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then, you know, once a year when we have you on, we could just call it our jam session. Yeah, this <laughs> will so, be our yearly jam session with the free to choose. You got to bring your you got to bring your bass next time, though. I, I will. And, and, you know, it's bright blue, too. Right. So. <laughs> right nice. <laughs> Very nice. What kind of what kind of amp did you play on? Uh, I've got an Ampeg. So nice. There we go. There you go. That's, that's the I've got a little Vox. My travel amps a Vox because you got the sound effects on that one. But. Yeah. Right. I, I played guitar. So but I used an AC 30. That's what I, what I played the whole time. So always, mm-hmm. o- always been playing a Vox. But I uh, I uh, did just just real quick. I I switched up to an Aguilar to, uh, that I thought was the, the I best. Forgot solid, about the Aguilar, yeah. The best solid That's state good. out there. Yeah. Um, in you know in the in the new two thousands. In the new, yeah. <laughs> you don't even need amps anymore. But, That's well, not well, a well nowadays thing. recording. Gosh, they've got it so dialed in that you actually don't even really need to record an amp anymore. It's insane. Yeah. It, it, you want it so you can hear it yourself, but I mean that's the. But that, yeah, that's it. And anyone who owned a really nice guitar amp has been taught a lesson in the free market over the last 10 or 15 <laughs> years because you cannot sell that thing, I guarantee you. Unless, unless I mean, I'll prove it to you. I got to come see my garage. Okay. <laughs> come check them out. So how can people support the Free to Choose Network? What, what can everyone do to make sure you guys keep going forever? Uh, probably I was going to say three easy things. One, obviously, we're a nonprofit organization. If we didn't say that from the beginning, we should. So free to choose. 
if you, if you go to our website at www.freetochoosenetwork.org, there's a donate button, and anybody can feel free to donate at any level. We'd love to hear from you here. Uh, two, the, just the concept of uh, we used to be able to do screening parties, you know, and if, uh, you know, especially if, uh, students on college campuses, you know, that's a place where we love to get in and reach out. We'll give you a turnkey kit for that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, but three, um, a teacher. If there was a teacher who influenced you and that teacher uh, instilled within you those concepts of critical thinking, uh, the power of the individual and freedom, uh, you know, boy, that's the referral we're really looking for because if we can reach more teachers, we can reach more students. And again, mass media, that's the idea. My band director in high school used to write on the board every day. He would write three words, seek the truth. And it would be the main thing that he would have written in massive lettering on the board all the time. And I've always credited him with being the reason he wasn't telling me to be a libertarian. There was nothing really political behind it. But that concept mm -hmm. of always seeking the truth always stuck out of my mind. And I think that's what everyone needs to do. And I like so, your idea of reaching out to people as well. I, you know, you, you've seen uh, people like uh, Kane, the wrestler yeah. <laughs> who's now yeah. a mayor in, in Knox County and here in Tennessee. And, and you've got um, a Penn and Teller, you know, Penn, Penn Teller's a Penn very, out there. Yeah. Penn Gillette, sorry, is very uh, outspoken uh, on the on the liberty side, and and then even shoot, even Elon Musk, uh, <laughs> although he has some, you know, not so good ideas. A lot of his ideas uh, are great. And you know, right. before you mentioned, uh, I'm just reminded of this. Before you mentioned uh, the college degree and things like that. I mean, Elon Musk came out recently and said he's like, you don't even need one anymore. He's like people. People yeah. are they're navigating or they're migrating and are being attracted to people with with just skills. I mean, and you have these kids growing up nowadays who are gamers and shoot, they could code their own phone by the age of twelve. Right. And so why do they need to go to college? I mean, they've already got it down. He, he just said that they'll no longer even require a high school diploma to work at Tesla. He said he doesn't care whether right. or not you had any schooling, and that's skill based hiring. That's a that's a lot better. But anyway. Uh, Mr. Robert Chetfield from Free to Choose, we have taken up so much of your time. Sorry for the technical difficulties that we had. We swear that never happens unless we're having an interview. I've got to check that out. This is because yeah. we this has happened only a few times, and one of the other ones was an interview. So I think that that is the NSA more than likely coming over the top and and trying to make this as hard as possible. <laughs> and that was right when you were talking about getting rid of the agencies at Completely the same time. So. Yeah, so no they, such thing as conspiracy. It's just the truth. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I hope we can have you back on sometime. Hey, Charlie, this is great. Thanks, Sue. All right. All right thank thanks, you. Rob. Take care. Ooh, that was an awesome interview. I got to tell you, that dude, so fun to talk to. I mean, that and just the fact that we've been listening to Free to Choose for so long now to actually be interviewing their president. I mean, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Do you feel um, cool? I, yeah, I feel about as cool as I normally do, I <laughs> which, <laughs> which is pretty darn which cool. Is pretty, which is pretty cool, man. <laughs> the fact that he's a uh, musician also, I mean, that helps out. That, yeah. that makes it that makes it pretty neat. So hopefully we can have him on the show again well, you sometime. you could say he's a talented fella. He is. Yeah. He sure is a talented fella. He has a degree in finance. Yeah. So this guy's been all over the map. Yeah. Just him like and, we have. Him and my wife could probably have a lot of conversations yeah. about that finance. Well, we we're degree. in healthcare finance. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we talk so about that? We're on the software side, but So still. basically, we're going to be able to take over as, you know, I'll be president, you'll be vice president of Free to Choose eventually. Mm, you know? Maybe, yeah. We'll yeah. see. It we'll seems see. like it. Music, finance, I mean, we're in line. We'll see. But y'all should check him out. Go to, uh, as he mentioned, free to choose network, free to choose network. 
you can go to .com or .org. .com will send you over to .org, but free to choose network .org. Check out all their stuff. I'm really pumped about the Thomas Soul series coming out early 2021. I hope that's January 2021. <laughs> January 1st, 2021. Because I'm excited to yeah. see that. And uh, it's really good educational stuff, especially any of you, any of you all that listen that are involved in education whatsoever um, should definitely check that material out and and incorporate that in any way you can or if you have any type of pool at all in any educational space. I think it's very important that we give kids and students the opportunity just to learn something different. We, we're not trying to force it on anybody else. You're free to just choose. Free to choose. Like uh, you might just have the information. Just put forward and the best ideas. Clearly you'll side with the right side of history, which is which is liberty, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully, but you know, I don't know. I mean, Thomas Sowell remained a Marxist for a long time and then he finally found the facts. I don't know if you can hang out with Milton Friedman and still be a Marxist afterwards. Oh, you just, He's very strong in his convictions. Yeah, you're stout in your beliefs. And uh, <laughs> but that's what makes him such a great um, arbiter, I would say, for liberty uh, today because of his roots, man. The grass roots. Back to his roots. It helps out. So, well, hopefully you all enjoyed that conversation. Please share it with a friend. Tell someone you know about it. We went live today on all of the platforms. That's just to give you a taste of what we typically do every single day of the week when we want to, which is we go live for our Patreon group. So join that by going to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. That's patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. For as little as a measly five bucks a month, you can get our live stream. And unlike free to choose, we are for profit, but all of that profit <laughs> goes back in. We haven't made a profit yet because <laughs> all of that goes right back into the show. We run advertising. We we do all kinds of things. We have, uh, you know, merchandise and all kinds of cool products and things for for you all. And that's just to continue to grow the movement. Uh, that's that's what we want to do is continue to grow this thing uh, and continue to spread the education and spread the message um, and do all of those things for liberty. So please, it's it's just five bucks a month. Um, and I always say, put your money where your mouth is. So give us five dollars a month, and then go give free to choose five dollars a month. I mean, that's ten bucks. What? That's easy. Speaking of, if you're being mandated to wear a face mask right now, you can actually go to gmlmask.com and get yourself a mask that on the front of it, it says, I'm only wearing this so I don't get arrested. I think that's it's, pretty it's good. It's in no way an endorsement of the government mandate. No, it's, it's just, it is not. If you feel like you should wear a mask because you feel like, well, it's not a hard thing to do and maybe I could help somebody. Or if you are actually mandated, let's say for your job or something else, it's a good mask to get. You can get one that says make taxation theft again. One that says taxation is theft. Uh, we got the don't tread on me snake on there. It says don't tread on me. It's really cool. Uh, so go check those out at gmlmask.com while supplies last. You know those masks. They're gonna they're just in a shortage all the time. And, while uh, supplies last. And also, if you're interested in learning how to day trade, we are both in a trade right now that's going really well uh, here. Actually, in the after hours, the market is closed and uh, it's going really well. This is up, typical. Yeah, up about. Yeah, we're not normally trading in after the hours. Stock is up 430% right now. <laughs> yeah. So we're both up about a dollar a share um, on our on our positions, pretty close to a dollar a share right now, which is. Uh, which is awesome and uh, going to keep trying to let this thing ride. I plan on being up four or five dollars a share on this thing and it's only a three dollar stock so you can afford it. All right. So go to mastermytrades.com. If you want to see us trading live every single day, grab that pre-market 
live stream. You'll be able to stay on there and watch us trade live all day. And uh, been a been a good week so far. Been a lot of even though the market's been kind of choppy. Yeah, the market's been a little a little terrible so far. But there's always good opportunities. Like this stock right here is. Uh, Would you say it's up? 300 percent four hundred and thirty nine percent four hundred forty four percent it just it just keeps going yeah just so a new high so now we're up officially a dollar a share charlie's over a dollar a share um so yeah if you're interested in uh seeing these stocks that we're trading every day and you want to get in on the action there's a new stock every single day that is like this yesterday there was one that was up like 500 percent uh this one is up over 400 percent there's a what they call low float stocks or penny stocks, I guess, although they're, they don't, they're not just pennies. This is a $3 stock. Um, but there are stocks like this moving every single day. They could have new coronavirus testing. They could have all kinds of things. We traded one that made body cameras. Um, you trade the one this morning that had uh, an online educational thing, um, BOXL a new educational deal with Samsung. So there's all kinds of new opportunities in the market every single day. So it's not too late. It doesn't matter if the market's at all time highs because we're trading a different market here. We're not trading the S&P 500 or Tesla or Apple right now. Can I just say it? I don't even know the name of the company that we're in right now because it doesn't matter because all we're doing is looking it's, at chart patterns. It's India Globalization Capital. Yeah, who cares? I literally could never know. It uh, doesn't matter. We're trading technical analysis, and you can learn how to do all that stuff too. These patterns, they repeat themselves over and over again. So learn the strategies that we trade every single day. Do it. And if you guys do all of that, tell a friend, go to Patreon, do the GML mask, give free to choose network some money, um, sign up for the trading class and share the show with a friend and an enemy and try not to be enemies with anyone. All right. Unless they deserve it. And you can also tell your communist uncle that he's got 305 episodes to catch up on. And this was a really important one. So show it to him. If you guys do all those things, we'll be right back again tomorrow. Until then, you guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. <laughs>